Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Rebel News daily live stream. However, this is not a live stream. We had a major technical difficulty in Toronto HQ today, but that is not the problem of our viewers. So relying on a little bit of quick learning on my side and Alberta Ingenuity, uh, my friend and co-host Adam Sos and I are going to do what is normally the live stream. We're going to pre-record it, but we are going to do what we always do, and that's talk about the news of the day in an unscripted way. Unfortunately, because this is not live, we will not be able to interact with our viewers, which is one of the great things about the Rebel News live stream. But we do hope that you do choose to support us on the platforms that allow you to support us. Um, those are Rumble, Odyssey, and Super U. You can support the work that we do completely willingly over there through um, different forms of leaving us a tip. We will also be airing at least a portion of this on YouTube up until such time as we end up talking about things that YouTube doesn't allow us to talk about. So at that point, we will invite the people who are watching us on YouTube to migrate over to one of those other platforms that I just mentioned. So those are Rumble, Odyssey, and Super U. And I'm trying a little something new with my broadcasting software. So um, bear with me, if you wouldn't mind, everybody, as Adam and I uh, kick off the show. Adam, how's it going, by the way? You had a very exciting Monday morning in the sky, did you not? Yes, I did. It was a bright and early morning. Um, we get up pretty early, do our calls and all that kind of stuff. But uh, we were up and we we're up for a couple hours before the light even came out. But we uh, went up in the helicopter, um, covered the truck convoy that is making international headlines, uh, actually being covered by other news agencies. Unbelievable. Certainly not with the same level of uh, detail and integrity that we're covering it. As you know, Mocha, her own Mocha, is embedded with that truck convoy. But yeah, we got to take this unique perspective and fly overhead um, and, and watch the group as it began to gather. Um, and as they started to roll out, we then made our way out uh, on, on foot and uh, drove over uh, and got to, got to wave at some folks as they were driving by. So it was definitely a pretty cool day. Yeah, I think you, you saw them too, though, right, in Edmonton. So what was that yeah. like? Yeah, I did. I saw them as they were as the trucks were coming from the west, rolling into Edmonton, picking up the Edmonton truckers. And mm -hmm. I have covered uh, convoys in the past. I covered many of the United We Roll con, the smaller ones, and then I start sort of covered the the big one as it kicked off. Um, and there's something so great about uh, a truck convoy, and it, it feels as though sometimes society needs to be reminded of the lessons of the movie Armageddon. And that is when all the fancy people and the politicians and the academics didn't know what to do, they send in the blue collar, blue collar guys to save the world. And uh, that is so often the case when, you know, the the academics can't admit they're wrong. The politicians are playing political games. It's always the normals, the rig hands, the truckers, the construction workers, uh, the truckers. Those are the guys who end up saving the world um, when everybody else makes a mess of it. So here's to those truckers. And if people want to follow, by the way, our reports, um, we have uh, a reporter, actually two of them, embedded in the convoy, uh, Mocha Bezergen. Sorry, Mocha, I say your name wrong every time I say it. But Mocha Bezergen, he's uh, on the convoy. You can follow his reports at convoyreports.com and you can support his independent journalism because all along the way, the mainstream media is going to talk about the truckers and talk about who they are, but they're never going to actually talk directly to them or their supporters. Um, and I can see the demonization of the truck convoy is reaching a fevered pitch as it makes its way closer and closer to Ottawa. So 
um, MOCA's journalism is, um, it, it's incredibly necessary uh, to debunk the mainstream media narratives about the convoy and who's on it and who's supporting it. 100%. It's, uh, uh, I love what you were talking about earlier, and it's so funny. I was not particularly a fan of this movie. Um, and spoiler alerts if you haven't seen it, but this Don't Look Up movie that's basically just like a <laughs> giant metaphor for climate alarmism. But yep. it's funny, like what, and this is a massive spoiler, so don't pay attention. But they're sending this like American soldier patriot cliche guy, um, again, massive spoiler alert, to blow up and destroy the comet. And then the Apple tech guy's like, oh, well, we can mine it instead. So they turn this guy around and stop him from completing his heroic mission to blow up the comet. Like the blue collar soldier type class guy is going to take care of business. And then the big, uh, big tech think tank uh, politicos uh, mess everything up for absolutely everyone. And uh, I won't say how it ends, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was two hours of my life. I'll never get back that I know, right? <laughs> The only but Ron Perlman is, was hilarious. Ron Perlman was pretty funny. The only good thing is, and again, spoiler alert, everybody died at the end. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? They all had it coming, so it's fine. Um, we, should, <laughs> we should get to the news of the day, though. Yes. Um, and um, again, I'm trying something a little nifty with my broadcasting software. So um, let's see if this works out. Um, all right. So from Blacklock's reporter today... Um, the government flies hip hop to the Arctic um, department. <laughs> there's nothing these people won't waste your money on. The Department of Canadian Heritage is billing taxpayers to fly hip hop dancers, rappers and African drummers to Nunavut to observe Black History Month in February. Accounts show documents detail nearly $83,000 in funding, including talent fees for one senator to visit Nunavut. This is not something I wish to discuss with you, said Stephanie Bernard, I bet not, of Iqaluit, president of the Nunavut Black History Society that successfully applied for subsidies. I'm surprised they even had to apply, by the way. Yeah. Bernard declined to comment on access to information records detailing grants to the club that totaled a quarter million dollars since 2019. What are they doing with all that money? Uh, Adam, help us. It's... And, you know, when I first originally saw $83,000, I was like, well, that's not bad considering the government's involved. Uh, that That is how bad things have gotten. Wasn't it $80,000 that uh, embroiled Paul Martin in the scandal that ended his political career? Yeah. And now how far have we come that $83,000 is how much they spent on sending a hip-hop troupe to, to, to the coldest parts of the country? I just, it, it, it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And... It's so emblematic of how willy-nilly they'll throw money around. Like, God forbid they help a veteran out whose limb was blown off, fighting for freedom, liberating a country. We don't have any money for those people. But uh, $83,000 to fly a hip-hop group up there, no problem. $10 million for a terrorist, no problem. That stuff, like, enough to say that those things are equivalent by any stretch of the imagination. But we've lost something of the core sensibilities of the country. Um, inflation is absolutely skyrocketing. Government spending is contributing to that. Um, and this is just so emblematic of the type of ridiculous thing. Uh, frankly, I'm sure there's probably someone within those communities who does hip hop themselves. It's a small town. Um, you don't see small town rural Alberta getting a million dollars from the government to fly Garth Brooks in. Um, they could have had a local person do a show and everyone would have enjoyed it and it would have been authentic local hip-hop culture on display. But no, they they 
they did this. It's, it's the most liberal government uh, thing I've heard of, possibly. Adam, there are 7,700 people in all of Iqaluit. 7,700. This one club has gotten from the government <laughs> a quarter of a million dollars alone yeah. since 2019. Yeah. What are I, they doing with this I'm, money? I'm literally picturing like all of them decked out and pimped out Cadillacs um, with Snoop Dogg blaring, rolling down the streets, all gold rims. Uh, that's what they should have. Um, but given uh, given how uh, government assets are allocated, I'm imagining that no one's life has improved um, and that they got one massively overproduced performance or two out of it. Um, yeah. I can't I can't imagine that it is ameliorating the lives of black communities there by any stretch of the imagination. I, I can virtually guarantee that those funds are not accomplishing that in any way, shape or form. I'm interested to know what Stephanie Bernard president of the Nunavut Black History Society <laughs> makes every year. I bet yeah. you. I bet she I doesn't bet want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I bet you it's somewhere totaling a quarter of a million dollars since 2019. And, and I'm just willing imagine, to bet. <laughs> like, you're the head of this group that's getting a quarter million dollars. And someone's like, what, what, what is going on here? This is taxpayers' money. I don't want to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> excuse me? I think we should yeah. do an information request on that. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, the thing is, it's a club, so it's a grant, so I can't really find out. But yeah, I would I still like to see what her um, application looks like. Like, because yeah. she would have to make an application. Apparently, they applied for it, which is actually surprising because they're just usually they're like, Here's, yeah. <laughs> this is somebody else's money. It's fine. That's usually what they're like. But, um, well, they spend more than this on a cover page. So, like, the amount, honestly, isn't that shocking to me. And that's sad. It should be. Like, the, yeah. the level to which we've swayed from sensible spending concerns um, is so dramatic. Now we're like, well, it's like it's only, like, a few million dollars or it's only a few extra million of these, a few extra million of those. Um, it's only yeah. one Toblerone bar going missing or one airplane full of alcohol. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, all, <laughs> it's just all, my I stolen mean, Toblerones. <laughs> this is symptomatic of both society at large, but I mean, it's it's more like it's so Justin Trudeau. Well, and you know, like if you're looking for government handouts, just name yourself the president of a marginalized group society. And it doesn't matter that you are in a place of 7,700 people where almost everyone's indigenous, by the way. If you are, you know, in charge of the Black History Month Society, here's a quarter of a million dollars. It's fine. It's just taxpayer money. It's no big deal. While the cost of groceries is out of control up there and there, you know, could be other things done to address um, what it's like to live in a marginalized community yeah. like Iqaluit. But yeah. no, we're, we're doing this stuff. We're flying well, hip, well-paid CanCon hip hop <laughs> artists up there. And the, like the other thing here is like, like hip hop is massive in indigenous communities. It just is. In fact, there's a bunch of indigenous uh, hip-hop artists uh, it, it would make like a little bit more sense like that like superman i don't know if you're familiar with him i think he's from the united yeah. states but incredible indigenous hip-hop artist um if there was at least some sort of connection where there's like enrichment within the indigenous community um and or people within that community are getting paid and creating art or something you could see i mean not that i'm really in favor of that kind of spending but you could at least be like oh well, okay 
Uh, but this is just like we're flying in folks and we're dropping a quarter million dollars on a concert. I, yeah, it's 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 nonsense. And it's pretty self-evident why uh, she didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. Don't, don't ask me these that. tough questions. Now, uh, next story, um, moving on to something that's still YouTube safe for now. However, yeah. I anticipate this to be changing very, very quickly. Um, Fight Club, I don't know if you can see this, but Fight yeah. Club's ending for the Chinese release was changed to this, and now I'm waiting for someone to fanfic a sequel based on the censored ending. So the censored ending, um, if I can bring it up and if everyone would be so kind as to bear with me here. Um, Adam, do you remember the, uh, sorry, the original ending of Fight Club? Yeah, everything blows up and it descends into anarchy and yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, so, just, yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say, though, but I mean, and I'm sure you're going to get there, but maybe we should just read this first out there and talk about yeah. this and then juxtapose it to the intention of the entire film. We're talking <laughs> about films a lot today. Yeah, this is, uh, it looks as though there's a little bit of uh, Chinese authoritarian snitch culture happening here. But anyways, this is the new ending to Fight Club. Through the clue provided by Tyler, the police rapidly figured out the whole plan and arrested all the criminals, successfully preventing the bomb from exploding. After the trial, oh, they went all the way to trial, Tyler was sent to a lunatic asylum receiving psychological treatment. He was just discharged from the hospital in 2012. So um, he's out now, I guess. That's the moral of this story. Like is i i know there's a blue check mark there but is that definitely real because it sounds so crazy like i mean i believe it's china so it sounds so crazy so that's right i mean the entire purpose of that film is how like i mean people may disagree but like a homogenized structured uh single-use friend consumptive society without substance is fundamentally unnatural and yep. defies our human nature and when we're subjected to that for so long, we we create escape mechanisms, um, which would be Tyler Durden. Um, so the entire mm -hmm. purpose of the film is that humans can't survive in Chinese culture. Uh, and I don't mean traditional Chinese culture, I mean communist Chinese culture. Um, right. Human beings cannot survive in that environment. That's the point of that film. And and they've they've tweaked the end. Like, I mean, if people aren't seeing through that tweak at the ending, so their implication is that he was creating these clues not to reveal to himself that he's Tyler Durden, but that he was trying to reveal to the Chinese authorities what the ploy was. I mean, that's some yeah. creative writing. Yeah, that's, they uh, just basically, uh, they went, so it ends, apparently, I'm reading this on The Express. Uh, the ending saw him kill off his fictional, fictional alter ego before watching many buildings implode implying the plan to bring down civilization had begun. And I think they were going to uh, destroy like everyone's credit records to sort of reset who and what people were. Yeah. However, while the new version in China does end with the narrator murdering Durden, the explosion was replaced with a black screen and a message saying what happened next in the newly altered plot. Wow. Was the, was the Pixies song still playing? Where is my mind? <laughs> over the black screen i've seen the movie a few times i know the soundtrack it's okay but uh is that was I, if that song was still playing over top of that that is absolutely hilarious 
Yeah. So yeah. I guess in the Chinese version, uh, Fight Club's new edited conclusion sees the state as the ultimate winner over the people who are disruptors, um, yeah. which is, I guess, the story of China um, with a healthy dose of snitch yeah. <laughs> in there too. That you know, bit. a little bit. So that's fun. Um, and again, I don't know how long. I mean, we can joke about what China's doing. Yeah. But big tech censors the internet all the time. There are things that we cannot talk about on YouTube because yeah. YouTube will nuke our channel. And really, how is that any different than what China's doing with this movie Fight Club? If yeah, there are true. certain things that we know to be true, medical studies, scientific studies, even people's personal anecdotes where we've seen supporting documents, but we can't share those on YouTube because they go against the official narrative that YouTube wants out there. How is that really any different than what China's doing? Really? Yeah, I mean, go ahead. No, I was, I was going to say, you're, you're absolutely dead on there. Like, realistically, we, our stream carries on, but in the YouTube version of the stream and the, in the China version of the stream, yep. it cuts off and everyone learned their moral lesson about the topic we're not supposed to talk about. <laughs> Uh, right. It's a different. It's a different ending. YouTube has a different ending, just like China does, of this story that we're telling, and, it, yep. and it, it, it's hauntingly how similar it is because it's about it aligning with their values, it aligning with their convictions, um, which is what, what they changed this entire film to align with their convictions, to align with their values. So, yeah, we all <sighs> get the Fight Club treatment. Isn't that weird? Exactly. I mean, we have to make YouTube trailers for our videos that are not even all that particularly spicy they just happen to be no. particularly accurate and we have to just make trailers to direct people to go to other platforms uh where they can find our work and that's exactly what people have to do with this movie now you can watch the chinese version or you can get the bootleg uh original american version somewhere yeah. along the way if you live behind uh the censorship wall of china anyways we should move along um, I, th I just want to say his name was Robert Paulson before we move on. And that's the last thing I'm going to say. <laughs> uh, we should move along. And uh, you know what? We're like 20 minutes into the show and nothing yeah. catastrophic has happened. We're doing okay, Adam. You're doing, doing great. Good. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, next thing. Um, it's about the um, absentee rates in schools. And I've got some opinions about this because I don't think the, I think these are, artificially high absentee rates, but we'll get to the story and then we'll give our opinions as we tend to do. So this is 111 Ontario schools are reporting staff and student absence rates above 50%. New data by the education ministry shows 337 schools reported staff and student absence rates above 30%. That, gosh, that's a lot. Um, more than hundred Ontario schools, blah, 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 blah. Let's keep reading. The data includes all absences, not just those that might be related to COVID-19, making it tough to gauge the impact of the Omicron variant on Ontario's school system now that the province is no longer publicly reporting cases in schools. Um, for me, I think, bring myself back onto the screen here, I think this has a lot to do with um, how everybody freaks out when you have the sniffles and you have to go home. Like you can't just go to school um, with a pocket full of Kleenex. Um, now, the second you have like, you clear your throat 
and yeah. they're like calling your parents to come pick you up, even mm -hmm. though it's like, no, it's just a dry throat. It's the furnace going all the time. It's minus 30. Um, and so everybody freaks out and everybody goes home. And so you have these enormous absentee rates, but it's just an overreaction to the fact that if someone clears their throat, everybody thinks they have um, the Delta variant, not just the Omicron sniffles. Yeah. And that's, and I don't know if we want to politely say goodbye to our friends on YouTube per the edit now and really get into this. Is that the, sure. yeah. yeah let's I, un that. Unfortunately, friends, um, we're going to now talk about things that um, big tech has decided we aren't allowed to talk about, even though they are our honestly held opinions supported by evidence and facts. We just can't do that. So if you are watching us on YouTube, we don't want to abandon you. We want you to join us on either uh, Odyssey, Rumble, or Super U, three neutral platforms that don't care about your politics and we don't care about theirs. So if you would just take a second to migrate over there and we will continue the conversation over there. And since this is pre-recorded, we don't have to wait for that cut to happen. So Adam, yeah. take it away. <laughs> so whenever I say we have to transition over, I'm obviously going to say something we can't say on those other platforms. It's incredible that we saw absolutely massive absentee rates in December 2019 when the government of Canada shut off our pandemic response system uh, after the Wuhan military games um, and, and we're not allowing while other countries to test those people to be tested because heaven forbid anyone imply that this originated in China, which seems to be almost the borderline uh, scientific consensus now. But we saw these massive rates of kids not uh, attending school, people being sick. I was sick at that time as well. And this was before, I think, March of that year, they really started talking yeah. about the, the scale of this. Um, but we had serious sickness, but no one was talking about that. It wasn't part of the government narrative. No one was reporting on that. Now, when we want to make Omicron or Delta or whatever they want to call it these days, uh, scary. Now we're reporting on these facts. The amount of twisted reporting like this, um, even uh, with an interview I did the other day, um, they're talking about students, post-secondary students going back to schools. Um, and there's no coverage of these hundreds of students who've been excluded from their education. But uh, the Calgary Herald did a piece on a group of students starting a petition so that those students aren't allowed back to go to return to their school. That's the coverage they're providing. Um, I think that this is the sort of last bit of fear-mongering as things start to shift. Um, we've talked about this before. Um, there's a few politicians who have been sort of outspoken um, and have been pushing back a little bit against us and have made some strong claims. But generally, everyone from uh, Ford to Kenny to just about everyone, other, with the exception of maybe Scott Moe, who pushed back a little bit, not, not very much, but a little bit, um, they've all been complicit. Now the tide is changing. Um, they aren't saying anything that the UK government or uh, Fauci, who have been big time abusers, aren't saying as well. Um, so now they want to parade as these, uh, these, these heroes who are liberators and they're giving us our freedoms back. So I think this, with the tide changing, these are those last little bits of fear mongering that, they, that these people who, uh, not all of them, but some of them are still getting money from the federal government, very often most of them. Um, they still wanna pay their dividends, but they don't wanna completely alienate their base as the tide is shifting. So they're going to start sharing these. It isn't quite the, the horror stories you're hearing from before, but it's still sort of subtle implications that things are very, very bad. Um, frankly, the reason that so many people aren't in school and the reason absenteeism is so high is because over the past two years, what we've told these kids and what we've told their parents is that school does not matter. If you don't feel like coming to school, don't come to yep. school. 
you can learn just as much at home. Socialization doesn't matter. If there's even a, I mean, we have, how many deaths are there actually in Canada with no comorbidities under 14? Like minimal, yeah. Ver, like it, I think it's maybe 20, maybe not even that. I think those, I think the 23 figure is comorbidities, but it's very, very low. Um, but what they've done is despite the risk that you, if you're in that age group and you're healthy, you're not likely to get very sick. For two years, we've been telling them at any drop of a pin for any excuse, school doesn't matter. So these kids will grow up with that mentality. It's it's going to affect them permanently. Um, and then parents as well. Oh, well, they're a little bit sick. Oh, they have a little bit of a stomach ache. Oh, uh, today they're not really doing anything at school. They, I think they've shifted the entire mentality. So it's one part they've undermined education on a fundamental level and the value of it. And another part, just the last little sort of tidbits of fear mongering from people who've been heralding uh, some of these uh, unilateral uh, uh, sort of solutions like vaccines and nothing else the whole way through. Yeah, this articles like this are like the death rattle yeah. of the locker downers. Yeah. For example, I think it's like 11 paragraphs down, they indicate that actually maybe even weather might be a problem. This yeah. might have been something you <laughs> wanted to put up there earlier. There was a snowstorm yeah, on the day we checked. That... Um, during the time in which they took this data, all bus all buses were canceled on a Friday due to uh, the cold, driving up the absence numbers because the vast majority of rural students ride the bus. Yeah, it's and like their parents often leave for work earlier. I, if I didn't work from home, my kids wouldn't have been at school like four days last yeah. week. Yeah. In, they're like, interestingly, just a sub note, just a little footnote, uh, <laughs> absenteeism was driven up 100% by uh, weather, <laughs> inclement weather. There were we, don't 16... know if it's, we don't know if it's COVID, but but incidentally, just a little footnote. Yeah, yeah. there were 16 <laughs> schools that were completely closed, not even the buses not running, but completely closed. Yeah. For example, my daughter goes to school in like suburbia, but we live way rural because it's yeah. the closest, nicest Catholic high school for her. And um, on the days where they're, the school buses aren't running, there are literally no rural kids at the school. They just don't come. Yeah. Because if it's too dangerous for the school bus, it's obviously too dangerous for your parents. And the parents often leave before the kids get on the school bus yeah. anyways. But this, these articles are a death rattle. These are yeah. like the final grasps at power by the teachers' unions that want continued lockdowns and they're trying to find any data just shoehorning it all in there yeah. um, to make it fit well, their demands. I was, I, was, I was talking to Pastor Arthur Pawlowski about this this very much seems like uh, don't get me wrong there are uh, there are certain people at least wise enough or at least with the survival instinct um, mm -hmm. I put sort of Jason Kenny. I mean it, I think for many people if Jason Kenny a month or two ago would have said enough is enough he's starting to say that stuff now but the tide is clearly changing um but but for many of these people Justin Trudeau included GOT Gondek these people who absolutely will not concede that maybe they were wrong um <laughs> I was talking with Pastor Arthur Pawlowski about this and even his his ridiculous arrest there where they don't even know quite what they arrested him for and they're figuring it out it's like a wounded animal lashing out like yeah. it, it's irrational it's angry like every six minutes justin trudeau's tweeting go get vaccinated um <laughs> like yeah, we get it you bought too many vaccines you really want to sell them you want to job with pfizer when you're done destroying canada um we understand we get what you're we get what you're doing but like it's it's so evidently just this this sort of 
wild thrashing because, and like we've said repeatedly, it is very much a religion. I've heard numerous people say this. I know Matt Brevner did, like the vaccine is their baptism, hand sanitizer is their sacrament. Um, and this is a religion. And now their religion is starting to fall apart. It's hardly lasted 2000 years as promised. It's uh, it's it's yeah. falling apart right before their eyes and they can't deal with it because they've this is the first thing they've believed in beyond their own comfort and hedonism in a long time. Um, and now it's starting to fall apart. Uh, so that's why they're lashing out like this. We should move on to the next story. And I wish I had put a, this in the first part of the show, but I'm just learning my software um, after several years of operating it. Um, this next article uh, comes under the... Uh, of course, like it's I was just going to swear I was going to say no sh Sherlock, um, but uh, most countries failing to crack down on corruption, new report says, including mm -hmm. Canada. You I think we would be able to deter corruption and influence peddling um, much uh, more ferociously, I think maybe is the right word, if we actually had real penalties for ethics violations. Mm -hmm. um, this article goes on to say, um, Transparency International's 2021 Corruption Perceptions Index, which, measure, which measures the perception of public sector. So this is government corruption, according to experts and business people found that increasingly rights and checks and balances are being undermined, not only in countries with systemic corruption and weak institutions, but also among established democracies. Um, it cited Pegasus software, which has been linked to snooping on human rights, activists, journalists, and politicians around the globe. Uh, Western Europe scored best overall, which is odd. Um, even Canada, apparently. The United States, which slipped over recent years, hit 67 points in 2020, but held that score this time, but slipped a couple of places to 27th. So what was it before? doesn't say um sorry i i don't know how to scroll on that um it says in that time 23 countries including the u.s canada hungary and poland have declined significantly on the index while 25 have improved improved significantly those 25 include estonia and armenia um and they then they go on to cite their data sources like the World Bank, the World Economic Forum. Yeah, okay. China, right. China is in first place. Yeah, no big deal. China's doing fine. Um, but, you know, just this past week, we had the leader of the NDP, Jogmeet Singh, taking a free rocking chair for his brand new baby and not realizing that that was a bad idea after his wife, I, I think she took like a sponsorship for her Instagram and they got this brand new rocking chair. Um, and he didn't really think anything wrong with it until Instagram users, who are often not known for their political savvy, pointed this out to him that it was a bad idea. And then we have Justin Trudeau's several ethics violations, putting mm -hmm. pressure on the AG, firing her when she stands up to him and getting, I don't know, a couple hundred dollar fine here and there. Bill Morneau, the finance minister, just accidentally forgot to declare his French villa, um, the we, the entire we scandal, yeah. giving a multi-million dollar sole source contract to your longtime friends and frequent employers of your friends and family as speakers, as though teenagers ever 
cared what Margaret Trudeau ever had to say about anything. Like that should have been our first clue that this whole thing was a bit yeah. off. But giving them a multi-million dollar sole source contract to administer a nearly $1 billion handcrafted just for them stu student bailout program and nothing comes of it and then you win the next election. Yeah. Um, yeah, of course we're slipping in the corruption index. It's right there in front of us and there's no penalties for any of it. You can be completely corrupt and win yeah. the next election, no big deal. And it has a lot to do with the media, by the way, and they yeah. not holding the powers that be to account. Well, it has a lot to do with the media. And like, this is the sad thing and this is the sad sort of reality that's dawned on me. It has a lot to do with the Canadian people. Like that's yeah. the sad reality. While the more people voted for the conservatives than the liberals, and obviously there's some issues there with how uh, the elections are managed and representation for certain regions, um, which is pretty self-evident if they're they're like if you have the more dispersed conservative area also voting in greater numbers, usually the representation tries to increase the sort of input or value of voters who are very spread out so that they can have some sort of influence. But in this case, in this most recent election, the spread out conservative voice got even more numbers and represented even more of the country, and they still didn't win. Um, now that there's demographic shifts and there's uh, redrawing of borders and there's lots of reasons for that, but it's nevertheless extremely problematic. So it's not to say a majority of people support or voted for Justin Trudeau, but the fact that what was it 39 or 37 percent or something like that of Canadians went along with everything that he has done. And don't get me wrong, the media is incredibly complicit because if this were a conservative politician or anybody else, they would have dragged them for this insane stuff. I mean, this is a guy who has been caught repeatedly wearing blackface and they basically covered that up. It was only made public on social media really until mainstream media was basically forced to talk about it. Um, sexually assaulted allegedly a girl and then said that she clearly misremembered it, um, has, has bumped and shoved people in parliament um, and not necessarily apologized for it. Um, and then the scandals, like the scandals, SNC-Lavalin, um, obviously we know uh, uh, Wilson-Raybould, like it's it, the amount of scandals it, is more than all other leaders in the history. It, it mirrors his debt, like the, the, the degree to which he's increased the debt of the country um, is mirrored by the degree to which he's increased the scandal in the office of Prime Minister of Canada. I don't understand how anyone, anyone can still support this guy but they do. And now the latest string is just this incessant barrage of divisive and hateful language. Like I don't use terms like you're a bigot or you're, a, you're mm -hmm. discriminatory, but Justin Trudeau is a bigot by all characteristics and by all definitions based on his conduct. He literally says we shouldn't tolerate a group of people. We shouldn't tolerate this community. And he says they're misogynists, they're bigots. He's launched a campaign of rhetoric and all of this stuff categorically unacceptable. We can go on and on and on. Um, this is just the start of it. We're not even talking about the economy, inflation, foreign relations, complicit relationships with China. Um, it's incessant, but no one dares question him. Kings didn't have this much leisure. Kings didn't have this much free space back in the day. Someone yeah. would have showed up at the castle by now. But this guy, for some reason, Canadians keep voting for him. Canadians keep liking him for him. And to your point, on one hand, Canadians have to be accountable because you can't just say, well, the media told me that. But on the yeah. other hand, the media is simply not doing their jobs. Even, and we're going to talk about Aaron O'Toole shortly here, but even Aaron O'Toole 
gets tougher questions. And Aaron O'Toole, the wild thing is he's just bowing his head and kowtowing to basically what Justin Trudeau says. He's marching in line and the media attacks him, even though he's the nothing never be prime minister opposition leader that nobody wants and everybody wants replaced because he'll never win, period. I think I think he yeah. knows that. That's why he's so defensive right now. But the the reason that they go after him when he's trying to play along and play nicely, it's a massive distraction. Uh, you never hear media going after Trudeau when he's saying the same things because he gets a free pass. No doubt you have the state media bought and paid for, and I'll stop soon, but when we had the court case to ask questions at the leadership debate and the, the terminology that came up, and this was a federal judge, um, the, the defense basically saying that we, we shouldn't be admitted said that, uh, well, this is state-funded media, it's not state media, there's a distinction. The judge said, well, I think that's wishful thinking. If the, if the majority media party in the country are receiving funding from the government and have to meet certain values checks established by the, the, the government to get their payouts, that's state-controlled media. And how often do we see an increase in freedom and a decline in corruption when the media is bought and paid for in history? I'm gonna say never. You know, that's an excellent point. And to just speak to how Justin Trudeau doesn't even care. He doesn't care about the laws that are on the books. But he also, to your point about the um, leadership debates, he doesn't even care when a judge says, yeah. no, you're wrong. These people are journalists and they are allowed to ask you questions and hold you to account and you do not have the right to decide who is and isn't a journalist, he still refused to take our questions mm -hmm. in the leadership debate. He completely disrespected Alexa. Um, as you know, Trudeau doesn't care for women who disagree with him, so that should come as no surprise. But he disrespected the judge that reprimanded and scolded his government, slapped their hands, Two years in a row, or two elections in a row, I should say, it's that just speaks to how much he respects the court system and the laws, and he should be the guy setting the example. And to your point about the media, when Justin Trudeau did that to us, when we had to take him to court for a second time, it was near conformity in the media about how the government was right mm -hmm. to decide who is and isn't a journalist which yeah. flies in the face of your duty as a journalist. Yeah. You are to hold the government to account on yeah. behalf of the people, not hold your competitors in the media space to account on behalf of your paymaster, the government. But that is what Justin Trudeau has done to the yeah. state of affairs in Canada. He's so polluted it with other people's money that the whole system is dishonest. And when you say, we don't wanna be a part of that system, we don't want to take your money. We want to answer to the people, our supporters, and we want to ask questions they want answers to. We're sneered at yeah. by the mean girls in the media party. It's that whole, it, it's like classism all yeah. the time, that there's there's some dignity in taking handouts from the government and indignity in relying on the people who consume your product to support yeah. you. It's completely upside down. Yeah, it is entirely. And you know, the, the wild thing about that is while we're seeing Pastor Archer and some of these people brought up on contempt of court charges, um, not only did that judge rule that we were journalists and we were to be admitted, 
when we brought up the concern after the fact and stated that, well, our concern now is they'll let us in, but they'll intentionally screen us for questions or they'll refuse to answer questions. Um, she put out a statement saying, well, this was not an element that was discussed during the court ruling, uh, she expects that we'll be treated fairly and as any other journalists. So the judge who just ruled on this said that a federal judge and the Prime Minister of Canada then refused those terms. I mean, if that's not contempt of court, I'm not a, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a judge, but if that's not contempt of court, certainly opening, opening up your church when there's some sketchy restrictions in place that aren't really quite clearly defined, it's not as though Pastor Archer received a direct ruling directed at him. Justin Trudeau <laughs> effectively did because his council, his, his committee that he basically handpicked were the ones trying to exclude us. Um, but yeah, this, this is so symptomatic. And again, broadly, we're talking about government corruption here, but the tail follows the head, so to speak. And you look at the, the one liberal candidate who managed to win here in Calgary, um, and who, who Justin Trudeau came and did an event with. They tried to hide that event from us. Of course, we obviously found it and uh, we, we covered it. But look what's happening. That is the, that's the earmarked poster child candidate that he promoted in Calgary. He stole off someone's property. There's also allegations, and again, these are just allegations, but he, he was involved in some sort of Serb scam um, to help a family with like 12 people in the family, I believe, all collecting Serb. Um, and he was sort of involved in that. I think they're just allegations at this point. But I'm sure we're going to be hearing stories of, of George uh, Chahal likely um, for the foreseeable future, because it seems like any one of these insider liberal elites who are friends with Justin Trudeau, this is what they do. They just do things they're not supposed to, and they get away with it, and no one dares question them. Um, they are very much the Lebranos, the political elite, um, the Laurentians, who nobody dares ask questions about, um, because, because, well, they're just a little bit above the law. Meanwhile, if you're a working class stiff, someone on a truck convoy, let's say, a pastor, well, you're mm -hmm. fair game. Yeah. The hand-picked candidate for the Liberals, I think, in Calgary, Skyview. Um, if you haven't heard about this at home, friends, it's probably because you've been paying a little bit too much attention to the mainstream media. Mm -hmm. He just was levied a $500 administrative penalty assessed by Elections Canada. So they've decided he was guilty. And I'll take that for what you will, because... Uh, elections bureaucracies are sort of a quasi-judicial thing where sometimes, in the case of Ezra Levant, they just find you guilty. They don't even <laughs> let you participate. But this was pretty cut and dry, considering the homeowner caught this liberal candidate snatching Conservative Party literature out of his mailbox on a video doorbell and then putting his own in there. So how many other homes did he do this to? Who knows? But we know at least one, which is a serious violation of elections laws in Canada. Um, and fortunately, this homeowner caught it all on his video doorbell and it went public. But I'm sure this happened. I think it's a fair uh, suspicion that it probably happened in dozens of other households. And people were probably thinking, well, I'm not even going to vote for the Conservative. Nobody from the Conservatives ever even yeah. came by. They're yeah. not entitled to my vote. All I got was literature from the Liberals, so I'm going to vote for that guy. How, mu how much of that happened to swing well, this pretty close right? And it, based on his comments, what he said, and this was the excuse that came out a couple of days later, was that the polling station information on the conservative literature was wrong, which if I, I apologize if I'm incorrect, if I remember correctly, it actually was correct. Yeah. 
Yeah, but I, th I think it, I think the information actually was correct. I could be wrong, but I think that they there was a confusion and the inf the information turned out to actually be correct. But so he in saying that he admitted that this was not a one-off thing. He was saying that oh well, structurally we we realized we looked at several of them and all the information was wrong. So we went around to fix them. That. I, I mean, I'm not saying he admitted that directly, but he said, oh, well, this was our reasoning for doing this. We noticed that they had incorrect information. He didn't call the candidate in Skyview for the Conservative <laughs> Party to let them know. He's like, oh, he's such a nice guy, sunny ways. So he just went around, he went ahead and cleaned it up to fix a problem for her, presumably, like you said, at numerous locations. But yeah, that's how they roll. That is the new uh, sunny ways in Canada, sunny ways for the elite. How hauntingly similar is this to uh, the, you go to Cuba, everyone's living in poverty, and then you can see Che Guevara's house up on the hill, yeah. um, the, and then Fidel Castro's mansion on the hill. Um, they're they're the, the sunny ways, saviors of the people. Uh, meanwhile, they're marginalizing, excluding people. Don't get me wrong, it got worse in Cuba. They literally had places to get rid of people if they didn't love the right kind of people. They'd yeah. round them up and kill them. But uh, regardless, the, the, we the leadership in this country, they're living in their palaces, the rules don't apply to them. For the rest of us, costs are becoming insurmountable. There's no political accountability um, beyond elections, basically. And even that, the media skews those so dramatically. So yes, corruption is rampant in this country. Um, and, and it comes down to people to wake up and it comes down to media to start doing their job. Not a Tory, not a story, as they say. Yeah. Um, let's uh, skip ahead to the next one. Uh, Joe Biden is uh, devolving into um, <laughs> something very terrible. I think he's at the point in his cognitive degeneration where he is getting testy with people mm -hmm. um, and angry. Um, and that tends to happen with people in cognitive decline. So I'm going to see if I can full screen this. Oh, look at me go. So this is him calling a Fox News reporter a son of a bitch um, for asking a question that apparently, according to polling data, is the top of mind issue for all Americans right now. And it is uh, inflation and the cost yeah. of living. Like it, it affects people, uh, whatever you think about China, whatever you think about Omicron, lockdowns, whatever, people care about the cost of living on all sides of the political spectrum. So. Peter Ducey? I think it's Peter. I don't know which one. One of which Ducey it is, because the dad also works for Fox. But mm. um, he asked a question about this, and Biden went into his angry Alzheimer's mode. So maybe let's just take a listen. Hopefully we can hear yeah. it. That's a great asset. More inflation. What a stupid son of a bitch. So, I, as I watched this, I thought, could you imagine? Oh, I always think, like, let's replace the president and imagine if Trump said it. Yeah. Oh. Could you imagine what would happen on yeah. social media oh. if Trump had called a reporter on a hot mic a stupid son of a bitch? Could you well, even imagine? Can you, even if even if Trump would have been like, son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, but no, Biden is like, you stupid son of a bitch. Like, like he, he's yeah. saying it. 
Like it's like it's like the pissed off grandpa that everyone kind of knows is there, but he's got the nice farmhouse, so everyone kind of puts up with him, being like that stupid son of a bitch. And this is the president of the United States. Like it's absolutely unbelievable. And I mean, this is getting a bit meta, but like, how, like we we saw Russian aggression towards the Ukraine peter out significantly when Donald Trump was there. Yeah. That, that That's just true. It was a massive story. Donald Trump was elected. And I, it could be a lack of reporting. Who knows? I doubt it because they would have reported extremely <laughs> critically on anything under Trump. For sure. But, yeah. um, so it could have been that. But it seems as though things petered off. Now we have Grandpa Biden. Uh, I'm going to say it. Sleepy Joe. Um, yeah. and, and all these internet, like China is pushing back and they're more boisterous than ever. They're editing Fight Club. That's sacrilege. Um and I mean, they're they doing took over a lot Hong more. Kong. Yeah, they, exactly. Let's not forget that. They took over Hong Kong. They're going to take over Taiwan, I bet. Yeah. Um, Russia's getting frisky. Yeah. Um, you know, Iran is feeling emboldened. North Korea yeah. is doing missile testing. Yeah. The world is far less safe in one entirely. year because yeah. of Joe Biden. And when a reporter asks a reasonable question that... Yeah. American families care about. Uh, you know what? I, I now that you mention it, and now that I've seen it again for the thirtieth time, because I want that to be my ringtone a little bit. But as I'm watching it, I think maybe he was aware that the mic was on. Oh, he was. Like, I don't think that he forgot. I think that he said that on purpose. It wasn't yeah. like a Trump like that son of a bitch. It no, wasn't no, like exactly. that at all. It was, and that that's the shocking thing. I, I don't begrudge, like, unless someone says something overtly racist or bigoted, like, yeah. if someone leans off mic and drops an F-bomb or something, mistakes happen. You don't want you're to a, hear my hot mic yeah. moments, okay? <laughs> you're, a per, you're a person, that's okay, I don't care. But this this is the president of the United States. Like, we're not big sticklers on decorum, um, but you're the president of the country. You're you're sitting uh, ex-cathedra, so to speak. You're, you're doing an official presser as the president of the United States, and this was 100% categorically Joe Biden saying to Fox News, it's like he's mad all the legacy uh, liberal media is drying up. Joe Rogan, Jordan B. Peterson, um, uh, Fox, all these other outlets are growing. He, he was just saying that it was an FU to Fox. And it, yeah. it's not as though, it's not as though uh, the, the guy brought up some ridiculous uh, I mean, maybe it's not even ridiculous, but as though he, he said something about Hunter. Like, he didn't make some cheap shot. If, if he would have come out and said something about Hunter and Joe Biden's protecting his kid and he says, you son of a bitch, it's kind of whatever. But no, he's asking about inflation. He's just asking about inflation. And it's, you're from Fox News. You've asked me a question I don't like. Um, we're we're more corrupt than ever and we're not accountable. So you're a stupid son of a bitch. Yeah, yeah. I my mean, kid, my just... kids can't watch the stream. They normally watch No, 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 no. <laughs> no. No, um, the, uh, I mean, it's just, I think about how the media was apoplectic when Trump would sometimes just pass over Jim Acosta <laughs> and just like point at someone else and take that question, not, not take a question, but yeah. just pass over Jim Acosta, who for yeah. some reason thinks that he has to have 10 questions every press conference for some mm. reason. Um, when he did that, everyone would lose their mind. It was an, an attack on the American democracy. 
Yeah. But Biden does this, and they're like, ah, that's just Joe. He's like that. Yeah. He's just like that. Come on, man. It's Joe. Come on, man. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's move ahead um, to, uh, what do I got on here? Oh, Aaron O'Toole. Speaking yeah. of um, failing uh, politicians, Aaron O'Toole yesterday, it, it was a roller coaster ride with him a little bit because he started off the day unable to decide if he liked the truck convoy to Ottawa or if he didn't like the truck convoy to Ottawa. And he was sort of like waiting for the mean girls in the media party to decide to tell him what to do, um, whether he would fall down on the side of uh, forced vaccinations or not, which seems like a crazy thing to say about a conservative politician. Yeah. But he literally did not know how to respond when somebody asked him about it. So we'll go to that and then we'll go to very quickly later on in the day. And I'm not sure um, what happened first here, if it was the cart or the horse, but later on in the day, conservative politicians um, like Martin Shields from Alberta here, and I think Pierre Polyev also, showed uh and Glenn Motts also again conservative from Alberta showed support for the convoy and said that they were going to go to Ottawa to meet the convoy so I don't know if that's what I don't know if Erno Tool flip-flopped or if those guys forced him to flip-flop I'm not sure but I feel like Erno Tool's probably losing control of his caucus oh, anyway which is I, I can, I probably can assure you that they're they are in panic mode trying to lock things down there 100 because um Aaron O'Toole's neurotic at this point he thinks everyone's coming for them uh, for him for the leadership which he's not wrong no, <laughs> no. maybe one of the smartest things he's doing lately yeah. okay so this is it so this is a tweet from our friend andrew lawton at true north um let's see if i can Several of your MPs have uh, uh, tweeted out support for the uh, convoy. Uh, one of them saying uh, that she, uh, he felt uh, the Prime Minister had a vendetta against people who were unvaccinated. Do you support the convoy, its goals, its objectives, even though the Canadian Trucking Alliance says it could, could be disruptive? And to follow, again, repeat Louis' question, will you meet with them when they come to Ottawa? We've been talking to the Canadian Truckers Alliance, Glenn, for several months. We've seen a crisis in the supply chain coming for several months, and we've proposed policies to try and help alleviate that, the most important of which is vaccines. And we encourage everyone to get vaccinated and to get boosted. And how can we use those tools alongside the other tools to make sure that we don't see shortages on grocery store shelves? Because here's the reality. When there's a shortage of products, the costs go up, and Canadians are already 60% worried about paying their grocery bill. So we can't have policies that make that even worse, and we can't raise taxes. So that's what we've been advocating for responsibly the last few months, Glenn, is to try and tackle the supply chain crisis, encourage vaccination, not ignore problems and divide the country like Mr. Trudeau does. You didn't answer my question. Yes, I did, Glenn. You didn't say whether you... Vaccines are a critical tool. You didn't say whether you meet with them. And we need you didn't say what to you, make sure we keep well, store shelves maybe, maybe you can Maybe you can answer that's, in, in, that's in response to my next week, question, sir. You can, you can, you can say whether you meet with them. That's why last week, Glenn, when the policy of the federal government for less than 24 hours reversed on the situation with trucking, the government was floating whether they could actually change their policy to address the supply chain shortage, and they decided not to. I've always said getting vaccination levels up, but also using rapid tests and other tools to, to make sure products get to store shelves 
that's what a government needs to do, and that's what we'll continue to advocate for. You and other conservatives have called for reasonable accommodations for uh, truckers in particular who are unvaccinated and who could lose their job or uh, and and that could that policy, according to you, could have widespread implications on our economy. But now that there are unvaccinated truckers rolling into Ottawa, you won't say whether you support them. You won't say whether you will meet with them. So what should Canadians think about your position? Do you not support the trucking convoy? I support getting as many people vaccinated as possible, including truckers. And I probably, with the exception of a few doctors who are on TV every day, I've probably encouraged vaccination more than any Canadian. And that's our most critical tool to reduce the severity of COVID, but also to get this public health crisis under control. I've also said there's going to be opportunity to use rapid tests and a range of issues to tackle real issues. We, we have a supply chain crisis right now that is helping fuel inflation, in addition to Mr. Trudeau's spending and other policies. How can we tackle that by prioritizing vaccines, prioritizing public health, but reducing pink slips and getting, getting goods on shelves? I think that's what governments at all levels have to do. So what's your message then to truckers who have maybe spent the past month thinking that you kind of have their backs and calling for reasonable accommodations and rapid tests? And again, you still won't answer. Will you meet with them when they come to Ottawa? Do you support their efforts and, and coming all the way here? Um, what's your message to truckers who might be disappointed that you are dodging questions and when you won't say whether you'll meet with them? Well, let me be crystal clear. We've been meeting with the Canadian Trucking Association for several months. In fact, we've written the minister on this. And at every occasion, I encourage truckers to get vaccinated. That's the best way to keep supplies flowing. And that's how we have to tackle this pandemic, get as many people vaccinated as possible, and also use all the other tools that we have to make sure we don't see shortages on shelves. Because what happens with shortages means prices go up. And at a time we have record inflation, Canadians can't afford that. That's why I'm calling for a break today for Canadian families. But let's be crystal clear. We can advocate for vaccines, but also advocate for people to, to not lose their house or their home or their livelihood if we can come up with a way to tackle the supply chain crisis in a way that's practical. Mr. Trudeau's government flip-flopped a week or so ago. They attack me with all regularity. They don't provide solutions. And they're raising taxes on Canadians 60% of which, that's millions of people already saying they're struggling to pay their grocery bills. So let's give them more money in their pockets and let's tackle the supply chain shortage at the same time. It's like uh, he's doing his best impression of a cat on the fence and it turned out worse than that movie Cats. Um, yeah. It's it's so, and like you, just, you watch his eyelids fluttering. He's like channeling his anger through his eyelids this when he does this and this yeah. it's charming when trump does stuff with his hands yeah. but i and uh ron DeSantis does it too and i kind of i kind of like it but yeah. this like yeah i i don't i don't like when aaron o'toole no. does it it's almost like how i know he's lying like it's his poker yeah. tell well um jason kenny has the same thing you can tell when he's actually saying something and you can tell when he's reading a script, this 100%. And I'll give, like, Jason Kenny, I think, is a little bit better at it than Aaron O'Toole. Like, Aaron O'Toole looks like the kid who did none of the work on the class project and <laughs> has been handed the notes 
and is like nervously reading them. And then someone asks him like a sensible question about it. And he gets super defensive because he didn't do the work. Yeah. Um, that's yeah, he didn't do his this, book report. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's what this, that's what this uh, reads like to me. 100%. Um, what, what are you doing in conservative politics? Like, yeah. what do you, and uh, furthermore, like, I'm sorry, but the, the conservative war room, the conservative, like many of you making those decisions, Fire them all. they're the worst. <laughs> Like, Aaron O'Toole, do yourself a favor. From everything I hear, you're a decent guy. Um, your conduct publicly doesn't necessarily exhibit that because you haven't stood up for people's fundamental rights. But from what I hear, decent family man. You seem like a nice guy. Um, I dare you to just come out to a conference and to one of these press things and be yourself. Say words that you mean. Be, hold your convictions. You're not going to be the leader of the party moving forward. You're never going to be prime minister of the country. Uh, it's not happening. You, it's not. That's not for you. Um, but you could still be a decent guy who's liked. Um, but you have to stop this. Like, come out and say words you believe. The people in this country who are rising stars are saying what they believe and getting in a bit of trouble, and they don't care. Pierre Polyevra came out and supported the truck convoy. He's a political rising superstar. The people in this country, like I said, who are going to form further conservative governments um, are the people who are saying, no, enough is enough. This is ridiculous. I'm not bloody Justin Trudeau. There's nothing wrong with being conservative. You're like, hey, media, I'm pretty much Justin Trudeau. Well, then go, go yeah. run for the Liberal Party. Or, like I said, be yourself. Come out, say words you mean. Who cares? If the media wants you to say something that's absolutely terrible to get the reaction that they want, don't say it. Who cares? Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. You, you, you could say everything exactly how Justin Trudeau says it in exactly the way he says it, but you, you're not flying the right flag. Period. That's it. Yeah. You could say everything the same. You could even be more progressive and more liberal, but it doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with ideas. It has nothing to do with policies. It has nothing to do with principles. It has to do with banner loyalty. And that's what the media party has, banner loyalty. You're not going to win them over. I know lots of politicians in this country talk about getting new bases. Well, forget that. Conservatives have a big base. They got more votes than the liberal in the last election. Stop pandering to people who are never going to vote for you and start talking about real ideas and real principles. And that's the only way that we're going to get this country back from Justin Trudeau. He answered that question, though, exactly like Justin Trudeau, as in he didn't answer it at all, which is like yeah. a Trudeau thing. Um and so I never want to hear a conservative politician who supports Aaron O'Toole complain that Justin Trudeau doesn't answer questions in yeah. the House of Commons or no. whatever, because your guy literally just did that. And I don't want to hear them complain that Justin Trudeau flip-flopped on the vaccination issue for truckers when in one day their leader yeah. literally did the same thing, where he couldn't say if he was going to support the truckers in the morning, but by the afternoon he's like, oh dang, I better, after yeah. he's seeing the thousands of people who are normally conservative supporters lined up on the road supporting the truckers. The truckers, as I said on Twitter the other day, they're the actual official opposition. The truckers, yeah. the supporters, they're the actual official opposition opposition to Justin Trudeau's bad mandates because the conservative politicians are like sleep at the switch here. It's crazy. They don't, they, Ralph Klein used to say the secret to his political success was to be able to see where the parade was marching and run and jump in front of it and lead it. Yeah. That's, that's smart because yeah. that's populism, right? Like you're seeing where the people 
want to take society. And you have to be the vehicle, the political vehicle to make that happen. Yeah. That's really smart. Aaron O'Toole could be that guy, but he's not. The people are marching. They need somebody in front to be the political face of this social movement. But he is too scared of Rosie Barton, I guess, than his own voters. I don't know if you saw it. It was another Andrew Lawton tweet the other day, though. But he said, like, the way politicians answer questions is a wife comes in and says to her husband, hey, honey, have you done the dishes? And the husband says, I support clean dishes. I think it's important that we have clean (laughs) services to eat off of, uh, so Mm -hmm. forth, so on. But they don't actually say an answer to the bloody question. And that's what people want. They want people who speak like people. Uh, They don't want people who sound like scripts or, like I said, who sound like they're reading a report that they didn't write. Um, Realistically, to be a leader... And the Conservatives have to realize this. They have to stop hiring ridiculous UK firms to make memes that don't make sense in Canada. Um, you, you, there's no amount of international hiring you're going to do um, that's going to make you appealing. You need a person who is being themselves and that the majority of Canadians agree with. Yep. Now, that's what you but- need, common sense. Let's get to the second half of Aaron O'Toole's day. Yes. Because uh, things changed rapidly, and uh, I think it had to do with public sentiment and not anything that he actually believed in. So let's take a look at this. Um, He's talking away. Rucker, show up on Parliament Hill, sir. Will you meet them, yes or no? We've been meeting with them for the last few months, and I will continue to meet this week and into the weekend with truckers and with the industry, both individual people suffering, but also the industry. Three weeks ago, Evan, but I'm talking I about the convoy. I'm talking about the free, the so-called freedom this convoy, problem, which would actually tackle the supply chain shortage. Mr. Trudeau's making inflation worse through his overspending, through his lack of attention on issues like the shortages, and with the fact that he's continuing to just divide people and not deliver on the essential things we need in this pandemic. Ugh, I can't even. Uh, you know, even it. Even when he says he's going to meet with them, he can't even be clear that he's going to meet with them. He's the worst. He's the worst. And I normally I don't sympathize with Evan Solomon on much, but I felt his pain when he dropped his head after having to ask the same question twice and still get the like Justin Trudeau answers that aren't really even answers. And like this is why bureaucracy doesn't work. It's like, hey, are we going to buy those tanks? It's like we're we're in support. We're in support of the idea of defending the nation. Let's, yeah. I want to be clear. I'm going to say we, we're in support of killing bad guys. Full stop. Period. <laughs> in support of it. Now we're going to have to. We're going to strike some committees and have some conversations. And uh, but but the thing is, is that that's that happened behind the scenes. And then the politicians used to make big promises and maybe not deliver on them. Now it's gotten so bad, and and it's Justin Trudeau's largely to blame, but. The, the vapid bureaucracy that happened in Ottawa behind the scenes is now also how they talk. Uh, and it's so it's so just boring and painful. Um, like literally that scene, I'm actually not getting audio from those videos, but I have seen it. When I wasn't getting the audio there and I'm just seeing their faces move, Aaron O'Toole looks like a puppet. Like yeah. you, you can tell his eyes are just like, this is what I'm being told to say. The wild thing here is the conservatives have a significant investment in these sort of think tanks to get, or maybe not external think tanks, but in their own war room at the very least, he doesn't say anything that he's just simply saying. And we do need a leader who says something without scripting it. Um, But 
they spent all this time and they're like, this is what we're going to have him say. And he goes out there and says it. I think part of the reason that we don't really maybe like his hand gestures and how he talks is because most of what he says is, is not intelligent. It's not <laughs> what people want to hear. And it's not his fault. Like he's literally saying what he's told to say. No, don't get me wrong. He's the leader and it's his fault insofar yeah. as he's going along yeah. with it. I'm not excusing him, but like he's literally reading what the people, all the conservatives together have made this group and they're the people who make the decisions and this is the message we're trying to get out. And then he goes and tries to get that message out as best as he can, but it's a really bad message. It's a really, right. really bad message. And you have to be one sell. heck, yeah, you have to be one heck of, I mean, and somehow Justin Trudeau sends it, sells an even worse message, but we've called him a car salesman. Not that there's anything wrong with car salesman, but more a Moderna salesman since the get-go. Justin Trudeau is like a sleazy salesman and he sold himself to a big part of the country. Um, Aaron O'Toole, maybe he's too nice a guy. Uh, to be a sleazy salesman. But the fact is, he's sharing bad ideas, and that's why he's not popular. And people can tell that he doesn't have any convictions, or he doesn't share his convictions, because from the morning, they'll have an adverse reaction. And then some smart folks in a room sit together, and they're like, oh, we had an adverse reaction. We need to get more social credit score for Aaron. We're going to say something different now. Or we're not sure where to rest on this issue. So Aaron O'Toole, our instruction to you is say nothing. Say yeah. words, but don't actually say anything because we, the think tank behind you, have not decided yeah. what you think yet. Yeah, 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 so true. Now, we are uh, past the hour. We've yeah. got actually one good politician that we can talk about, or not good politician, but not particularly bad because I don't want to forget the locker downer prior version of Scott Moe. Uh, mm -hmm. He still needs to be held accountable for that. Uh, the churches he fined, the churches he closed. Um, but Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe said, says strict lockdown. So COVID-19 restrictions cause significant harm for no significant benefit. Well, yes, I tend to agree. But uh, where's the apology, Scott yeah. Moe, for yeah. the churches that you issued $14,000 in fines, even more than that, too, for singing, um, holding them responsible for outbreaks that may have come from a local casino that the casino wasn't closed, though, because that's essential, but church wasn't. Um, he has he has said uh, lockdown and vaccinations do not seem to be stopping the transmission of the Omicron variant which is true, but you can't say it on YouTube. But at the same time, we're seeing all Omicron with a much quicker cycle of infection, and it seems to be less severe than previous strains, particularly if you're vaccinated and have had your booster shot. I don't know if that's true. But anyways, 74% uh, of Saskatchewan residents over the age of 60 have had their third dose. And um, he, Mo talked about other countries around the world, which is good because uh, if you look at Israel, they're like three four months out from where we are on just about everything. So if we want a good predictor of what's going to happen here, we should be looking there. And they are overrun with Omicron, as it would turn out. Uh, he says the other countries are starting to talk about how they're going to live with COVID as we move forward through the next number of weeks and months and ultimately into eternity and how we are going to get our life back to a much more normal semblance of normal, um, which, I mean, great. Thank you. But if you had said this b before Christmas, you were a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. And this is the thing is, like I said, the tide is changing now. And I tweeted this out the other day. If these politicians who arrested pastors 
cause people to lose their livelihoods. Didn't say, well, companies, if you're finding these people, you have to pay them severance. We're talking about a big percentage of the population here, like like 15, 20% of the population, depending where you are. And among those, thousands and thousands of people have absolutely lost their livelihoods, didn't receive employment insurance, didn't receive severance, many of them and literally losing their homes over this. And politicians literally pouring out propaganda-like rhetoric that we have not seen in Canada, Justin Trudeau, the worst offender, since like the internment of the Japanese in, world, in the World War. Like, these politicians, these corporations who did this, if they think that, oh, well, it turns out Rebel News was right all along, and these people who were saying Oops. this, like, everything we've said this whole time is now what everyone is starting to say. And like I said, they're acting like we weren't saying it all along, or like we were wrong, and it's just now becoming right. No, it was always accurate because our narrative has not changed because we have been following the evidence. We've been following the story wherever it leads us, not where we wanted to. Um, you guys have not been following the facts. You reacted dramatically and people suffered. If you think that you just get to go back to normal and leave these people in the dust, it's not gonna happen. We are going to tell you these stories. Where, and I'm not threatening anything. And someone said, you're threatening them. I said, no, I'm threatening journalism. We're going to tell the stories. <laughs> yeah. We're, and for, for those people who maybe work at the CBC or some of these outlets, this is what journalism is. Um, yeah. You expose corruption. You expose corporate and political bullies. And, and you get the stories out there so that these people can be held accountable. You don't get to go on with your lives while you've ruined these other people's lives, thousands of people's lives. You're going to be taken to court. You're going to be held accountable. And we're going to tell these stories. We're going to do information uh, access requests. We're going to investigate. And we're going to find you all out. This doesn't finish when you guys say, well, COVID isn't a major threat anymore. We will, we will be on you. And this is not a threat. This is a promise. As journalists, we will be on you for decades. Decades. Mm -hmm. I, I'd say you have maybe like two days left, and then it's too late because the tide's changing. Every politician across this country, you have two days. I'm, I'm making up an arbitrary deadline. Come out, apologize, say you were entirely wrong. Say the corporations that you enabled to fire people without severance or employment insurance must hire those people back. Fix all the wrongs you have done. And it's not gonna be okay if you do it in six months when all the pressure is shifted. If you're not on the vanguard of fixing this problem, you're going to be exposed as perpetrators of these grave injustices. And like I said, I'm sure Sheila will follow me up on this. We're not going to stop. This is oh, no. not a this is not a six month thing. This is not a one year project. We are going to be reporting on this for the foreseeable future and beyond. Unlike the mainstream media, we are out there in the field talking to the people whose lives have been absolutely ruined. We know the personal effects of these bad government decisions. And our politicians do not get to treat us like we're hard of remembering, like they can rewrite history to turn themselves into some sort of wait-and-see pragmatists that they never were. They overreacted, it destroyed lives, it caused early deaths through to despair and lockdown. It took two years of children's lives away from them. Businesses ruined, hopes and dreams ruined, marriages ruined, addictions. They don't get to pretend and they will be held to account uh, through investigative journalism, accountability journalism in at the ballot box. Um, they don't get to rewrite history here. 
And while I appreciate Scott Moe resisting, being really the only resistor in the country right now to the Omicron, you know, freak out, um, he freaked out pretty hard pretty early yeah. uh, at the beginning of this. And I'm not hearing an I'm sorry, I was wrong. And yeah. that's what that's what a good and decent person would do. And I'm I'd like to think that Scott Moe is that guy. So Adam gave you a timeline, 48 hours. <laughs> 48 hours. Let's get moving. And I just want to say, finally, the amount of people that you and I have looked in the eye as they wept, Yeah. the amount of people stop. who had to stop an interview for a hug because they yeah. couldn't quite get the words out. Yeah. Um, th these aren't extremists. These aren't political activists. These are people with religious medical exemptions, people who are uncertain and maybe want to wait a little bit, people unwilling to get the vaccines for various reasons, or some of them vaccinated, but on principle, unwilling to participate in a discriminatory system. They have yep. wept. They have lost everything. Yep. And we have been the ones, while other media outlets were sleeping, who were there for them. We're the ones who looked them in the eye. We're the ones going through thousands of heartbreaking emails. And I just want to say more than that, because... This is more than just a plug for one of our campaigns. Um, this is the primary, as I think Sarah called it, Sarah Miller, uh, access to freedom and, and uh, justice in this country movements. Fightvaccinepassports.com. Go there and make a donation because these people who we meet face to face, who tell us their heartbreaking, tear filled stories, they cannot fight back against WestJet alone. They can't fight against these massive rail companies. They can't take on the government alone but they aren't alone. They have you in their corner. You guys have donated and it's been absolutely incredible. I think we're closing in on almost $2 million at fightvaccinepassports.com. And these people are now getting exceptional world-class lawyers that they simply could not afford because of your generosity. And they're taking these bullies, these tyrants, these political heads, these corporate CEOs to court and they're holding them accountable. And these people did not see this coming. It's like the truck convoy. It is coming, it has momentum and millions of Canadians are on board saying enough is enough and more and more are coming. Please go to fightvaccinepassports.com, sign the petition, donate and give these people a fighting chance. So as I said, for decades to come, we can hold these people accountable these people are not going to get a free pass. And as I said in my tweet, there'll be no exemptions. <laughs> yeah, and before the hate emails come, none of that money comes to us at Rebel News. It goes directly yeah. to the Democracy Fund. It's a uh, CRA-compliant charity. We're pretty uptight about making sure that everything over there is CRA-compliant. Uh, you'll get a charitable tax receipt. And all the money that goes into the Democracy Fund has to be used for the Civil Liberties Education and Initiative um, that the charity exists to perform. That's it. Yeah. That's all it does. Um, and for me, being able to offer people that help, help, like when you're talking to someone on the very worst day of their life, they've lost their job. They don't even know how they're going to tell their family because of a vaccine mandate. And you're able to say, I know this is terrible, but I can connect you with one of the best lawyers in the country. who's going to fight like a lion for you. These are people who are so in the throes of despair. And for our donors, I, we, Adam and I, we, we hear the thank yous. But they're not really our thank yous to get. Mm -hmm. They're the thank yous that belong to the donors. The people that you're helping on the worst day of their life, they don't think anybody cares. Their government just destroyed their life. Their employer just, um, you know, enacted a vaccine passport. These are... 
people of morals. These are people of ethics. They are the people you want in management positions, and yet they're being run out. Um, they don't think anybody cares about them until you say there are thousands of strangers cheering for you and they want to help. It's the moral boost that these people need on the worst day of their life. And uh, that's what, you know, every single donation to the Democracy Fund does. So um, I think I say this on behalf of Adam, too, and everybody at the company um, and everybody over at the Democracy Fund. Just thank you, everybody, so much for those donations. You don't even know the difference that you're making in someone's life. Um, we are way, way over time. I'm surprised. I didn't think we would um, be able to pull this off, Adam. <laughs> but uh, I was confident. I was confident. Well, you know what? Someone's got to be confident in me. Um, Adam, thanks so much for uh, co-hosting with me today as we experimented on something a little bit new. Um, thanks to everybody in studio who are going to take the couple of files that I give them and turn it into a functional show, hopefully, for our viewers at home. Thank you to our viewers who tuned in and um, are patient with us as we go through some technical difficulties over, I think, probably the next 24 hours. Um, and... Thank you to everybody who contributes, at, both at the Democracy Fund, but also at Rebel News to keep the lights on. Um, thank you for supporting our independent journalism. I think it's more important than ever. And as David Menzies says, stay sane. <laughs>